Hey, so on April 15th, 1912, there was a shock that happened to the world. And if you're good with your dates, then you know that was the day that the Titanic sank. The unthinkable happened. The impossible, this ship that was never supposed to ever be uh, able to be sunk, actually sank. It hit, of course, an iceberg and uh, it went down killing thousands of people. Uh, But what was interesting about that is they weren't able to find the remains until 73 years later, 1985, is when somebody finally got down there um, and was able to see that the Titanic had reached this level of the ocean floor. And of course, you know this, but with the ocean, how it works, the further and further and further you go down into the ocean, the more and more and more pressure uh, that you face. In fact, if you don't have the right equipment, if you don't have the the special equipment that's needed, a submarine uh, that's needed, then eventually the further and further you go down, you will also be caved in, crushed, and eventually die because of the pressure. Well, they weren't able to get down there for so many years because they didn't have the right equipment to be able to make it down that far to withstand the pressure that's over two miles deep within the ocean where the Titanic was at the bottom. And so once they finally got this submarine that was specially equipped to be able to withstand the external pressure because it had more pressure in the, in the internal cabin than the outside pressure, then they were able to get down to that depth to finally see where the Titanic had landed at the bottom of the ocean. Well, the Christian life is similar in that sense that it, 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 it poses the same threat. You see, the further and further we go down into this Christian life, the more and more pressure that we face. And if we're not prepared for this pressure, if we're not connected to that special resource, which is Jesus Christ, if we're not connected and we don't have a tight grip and rooted within Christ, then same way the ocean does to anybody that gets to a certain pressure, we will get crushed, we will get caved in, and we will potentially abort the mission because the pressure is too much for Christians. Well, that uncomfortable pressure, brothers, I'm here to tell you this morning that it's here. It's here in America. A lot of the uncomfortable pressure and a lot of the persecution and a lot of the the things that we would see and read about that happens overseas is here in America. And we see about it, we read about it in the news, it's happening every single day more and more and more. And I can tell you right now that this is just the beginning. It's only going to get worse. And my question for you this morning are, is, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the pressure of the world to increase, to increase to a point that it is uncomfortable, severely uncomfortable? It makes you have to make radical changes in your life to your normal day-to-day. Is your trust in Christ, are you rooted in Christ enough to withstand that pressure that's here today and only going to get worse tomorrow. Because if you just wait and say, well, I'll get ready for it when it's here, when it hits me head on, it'll be too late. It'll be way too late. So I want, to, want you to examine your life today as part of my message is I want you to really have that self-reflection to see that are you deeply rooted in Christ enough to withstand that pressure that is going to come? And how are you preparing yourself today that can tell you how much you're actually 
preparing for that pressure to come. Because if you're preparing today, you have a better chance to fight it when it comes. If you're not preparing today, you don't stand a chance when that pressure comes knocking at your door. So let's go ahead and open up to John chapter 19 and take a look at how this pressure works. Because we get a great example of the worldly pressure in John 19 of how people oppose Christ. And you're going to respond in one or two ways, just like we will see in our passage today. You will either respond by caving in or you'll respond by being calm and at peace because you know this is part of the plan. Before I get into this passage, we're going to take a running start at it from chapter 18, verse 38. But I can tell you right now, and I made that comment about Jay clapping, but uh, this won't be one of your favorite sermons that comes from this pulpit. I can guarantee you that. Straight out. I'm just going to tell you that. So you don't have to worry about it at the end. It's not. It's not going to be that. But my hope and prayer is it's one of the most impactful sermons because when that time comes and you can reflect back and say, yeah, we talked about this. So it's not going to be your favorite, but it's critically important for us to hear this morning. Let's start in chapter 18, verse 38, before we enter chapter 19. Verse 38 says, and Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, in him, Jesus. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus. He took Jesus to be crucified and flogged him. I want to stop at the word flog because we can easily just run past that word as if it doesn't mean much. But flog, in other translations, you'll see the word scourging. But that flogging process is what they would do is take this, 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 this handle that would have these long leather straps on it. At the end of these leather straps, it would have these, these metal pieces, these sharp metal pieces. And Jesus, it, during this time, would be tied up to a post. And he would have his hands out and he would have men that would just whip him and lash him and fillet his back until bones were exposed, until all the flesh was exposed, flogging him. It's not a pretty process. They would oftentimes do this as far as they can just until he was about to die because of crucifixion. They wanted to save death for the crucifixion. So just picture Jesus getting flogged, getting beat, getting, getting destroyed and ripped apart almost to the point of death, flogging. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. Okay, another stopping point. Crown of thorns. Again, we read past that and say, okay, crown of thorns. But just think about this. These thorns, sometimes as long as 12 inches, right, they place this thorn this crown of thorns on his head. And if you know anything, if you've ever nailed a nail into wood, it just doesn't easily go on, right? And so just think about just the aggression and the force that they had to place upon Jesus's head with these crown of thorns to get it on his head, to get a 10-inch nail to sit on his head. And so you think all of these thorns piercing, causing blood, causing much pain just to get the crown of thorns on his head in a purple robe. Of course, it's mocking him because that's for majesty, 
right? Royalty. Verse 3, they came up to him saying, Hail, king of Jews. Right? Mocking him again. That's for Caesar. Hail, Caesar. Hail, king of Jews, they're saying to Jesus. And they struck him with their hands, right? beating him, punching him, spitting on him. All of this fulfillment of Isaiah. Right? Verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Second time he said that. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man, the man, here he is. And here's what Pilate is trying to get. Pilate is trying to get sympathy, right? He, he doesn't want to kill Jesus. He finds no guilt in him, but he's trying to satisfy the Jews by saying, Look, he, he, he's shameful right now. He's hurting. What is he? He looks pathetic right now because he's bloody and he's beaten and all of that, behold the man. He's hoping to find sympathy. Verse 6, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they didn't give him sympathy. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Third time. The Jews answered him, we have a law, Leviticus 24, 16, blasphemy. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, more afraid that he was dealing with the Son of God. Also, if you look at your cross references, you go back to the book of or the gospel of Matthew 27, 19. His wife has also told him, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Have nothing to do with him. He's caused me much harm in my dreams. Right. And so he's thinking about that. He's thinking about he's dealing with the Son of God. He's thinking about he's about to make this decision causes much fear. He entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus finally answered, you would have no authority over me at all unless it was given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Speaking of Caiaphas there. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. Again, there's that conviction. He's going to release Jesus. He's had enough. He can't do this. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat him down, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of Passover, which is a Friday, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Mocking them, obviously. The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus there's three parties here that I want to explore. You have the Jews, you have Pilate, and you have Jesus. And they all have certain actions that I want to deal with today and want to start with the Jews. I want to start with the Jews because I want to focus on the action that they have. And we talked about these worldly pressures, but I want you to see just the opposition against Jesus. And not just see the opposition, but I want you to see one thing in particular, how it escalates, how it intensifies. Okay? Because we deal with much of that today. 
It starts off soft and then it intensifies until they ultimately get what they want. All right? And so if we look at our passage, we see that the Jews start off in verse 6. Crucify him. Crucify him. Right? They're just saying, we want him dead. We're not going to have sympathy for him. We want him dead. Okay, Pilate doesn't crucify him right then and there. He doesn't make that designation for him. He says, I find no guilt in him. And what do they do? They then bring in the law. Well, we have a law that he's blasphemed and you must crucify him because he has violated the law that we have that you must uphold. So they bring in the law. That doesn't work. Pilate still, again, Pilate's saying, I'm going to release this man. I'm not going to do that. What do they do next? Well, we'll tell Caesar, right? We'll tell your boss. Understand that Pilate is the governor, Caesar is the emperor, right? And so if, if you don't do what we say, we'll tell your boss that, you know, you're being a rebel. You're opposing what he's told you to do. And then you'll have to take that up with him. Then at the end, they get to the very end, right? These are, quote unquote, religious people. They completely throw away religion. Right? We have no king. We, we don't have a king except Caesar. Why do they say that? Because they want Jesus gone. They're willing to say, God of the Old Testament, God of Israel, forget about him. We don't even have him anymore. We don't even want to talk about him. We just want Jesus gone. So we're willing to throw religion out of the picture to get Jesus gone, to erase Jesus. They're willing to go to those extremes. Amen. The world is willing to go to those extremes to erase Jesus today. It's just a process, but it's working to get there, just like the Jews were working to kill Jesus. They wanted him gone. And so you and I need to expect that that's coming. And that's point number one this morning is you and I need to expect the worldly pressure to intensify. And you're going to have to face the pressures of the world and deal with the consequences of it. One of the most unique predators out there is the boa constrictor. The boa constrictor. And he, he's unique because they have a certain way of killing their prey. You see, they don't bite or they don't terrorize. They're not fast or anything like that. But they kind of just lay in camouflage and they wait. And once they see their prey coming, they go quickly jump on their prey. And what they do to their prey is they wrap them up of course, and they wrap them up and they wrap their, their, their body, their coil around the rib cage. And all they do is just tighten and tighten and tighten and pressurize more, 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 more. And while they're pressurizing, they're cutting off the blood circulation to whatever the prey is, their brain. And so eventually they're going to cut off that blood circulation until they die. And what's interesting about the boa constrictor is they're wrapping their body around the rib cage so they can feel the heartbeat as well. And they keep tightening the pressure up until that heartbeat is no longer beating. And that's when they know their prey is dead. But that pressure continues to happen. They don't release, they don't relent any pressure until the deed is done. They're dead. And that's exactly what the Jews were doing here. Right? The Jews are squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And they're going to make this hard on Pilate. They're going to make him do what they want. They're going to continue to keep the pressure on until Jesus is dead and gone. And while you and I may not be facing death today for professing the name of Jesus, we know our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas are. 
And it's only a matter of time before it gets here. And it's going to continue intensify to get there until we erase the name of Jesus, until you stop talking about his truth at work, until you stop talking about the gospel at work, until you finally conform to your job and what they're expecting you to do with the progressive movement that most of your jobs have, until you start to accept the fact that everybody has their own God and whatever way that they want to choose, all roads lead to heaven. Until you start professing that form of religion, they're going to continue to put pressure on you, and they're going to continue to intensify that pressure until you conform to get there. I don't know if you heard the news this week about the Australian football club. There was a coach over there, right? His name Andrew Thornburn. Right, here's a guy that just got hired as the CEO. And many of you know business well enough. You just don't hire a CEO like a frontline team member, right? There's a vetting out process. You go through a process that's long. They got to make sure they get the right person because you're in charge of the entire organization. And so here this man is. He gets hired for this Australian football club. Day one of the job, he resigns. He resigns. And the reason he had to resign was because of the pressure. The reason he had to resign was because of his affiliation, because he was on the board of a church. And of that church in 2013, we're in, two, we're in 2022, in 2013, not him, but a pastor at that church preached a message on abortion and homosexuality, and how that is an abomination to the Lord. So he got fired from a job because of something that happened almost 10 years ago by a pastor at the church that he was a part of that he didn't even, he didn't even come out and say, hey, I'm saying this. Somebody he was affiliated with cost him his job. And this is, again, not somebody that just got a, you know, a, a lucky job. This is a CEO. After one day, they found out, and this was the words that they said, he was in direct contradiction to our values as a club. They spent months and months, probably years, to hire this man. And after one day, he was gone because of something a pastor at a church he goes to spoke about 10 years ago. They're going to great lengths, great extents to get rid of people that are not going along with the flow of the culture. Some here might be thinking, well, I don't, I don't feel that pressure. Well, my question would, would, to you would be, how much are you being bold for Christ? How much are you sharing the gospel? How much are you talking about Jesus in your neighborhood, in your workplace? Because I guarantee you, if you're talking about him enough, you'll feel the pressure. If you stand firm on God's truth, you will feel the pressure, and you will be hated. Not going to be your favorite sermon. We don't want to be hated. But that's just the truth. That's what Jesus told us. Matter of fact, turn your Bibles to John 15 a few chapters back. He told us this. He promised us this was going to happen. Verse 18, it says this. It says, I want to engage here a little bit. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would what? Love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world what? Hates you. This is the words of Jesus. Let's go down to chapter 16, verse 1. Obviously, you could read that whole passage, but I'm just going to jump around a little bit here for time's sake. I have said all these things to you to keep you from what? 
falling away. He's telling us this is going to happen. He's letting us know ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. They're going to hate you, and they're going to do everything that they can to get rid of you, to keep you from falling away. He wants you to trust the plan. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Reminds me of a certain governor that has the audacity to come out and say, the reason abortion is good because we are loving our neighbors. It's ridiculous. But there, there it is. They think they're doing a service to God. They think they're acting in godliness by taking something completely out of context, heretically, and using it, thinking that they're doing God a favor. This is what Jesus is telling us. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when your hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus gives us the play before it's even ran. He tells us everything that's about to happen so we do not fall away. The the pressure is going to intensify in all aspects, not just your job, in all aspects. We talk about church buildings and all of that stuff. You can go ask Pastor Elliot. You can go talk to CBC Tustin, and they'll tell you it's hard out there to get approval for a church building. If that was a, a library, if that was something else, wouldn't have had any of these problems, guarantee it. But because of it's, it's a church that's proclaiming the word of Jesus, that's proclaiming the word of, of God, it's a problem. That's going to happen more and more. It's going to be harder for you to get a job. Right? I, I read an article this week about Virgin Airlines. Now they have gender-neutral uniforms for their flight staff, right? Gender neutral uniforms. You think they want to hire you that's going to come in there and say, hey, there's a difference between man and woman? No, they're not going to hire you because you're getting in the way of what they want to do. It's going to be hard for you to get a job. It's going to be hard for you to keep a job. The more and more you say he and she, the more and more your job is going to be on the line. It's going to be harder for you to keep a job. It's all part of the plan. It's going to be harder for you to send your kids to school. Hard if you just send your kids to school. Why? Because they're starting to force kids to take certain sex ed classes. Otherwise, you can't graduate until the next grade. You can't be exempt from it. You must take this class. And oh, by the way, they don't want to talk to you, parents. They're going to talk to your kids. And they're going to allow your kids to make decisions as if they're adults. Right? And so it's going to be harder and harder for you to do the things that you normally do. Pressure. And all that bad stuff, it's going to continue to happen. It's horrible, but it's going to continue to happen because Jesus promised that. He promised the world is going to hate you as a Christian. So be prepared for it. But here's the blessing about pressures. Blessing? Yeah, there's a blessing in that. There's a good thing that it it keeps us from deceiving ourselves. Right? Because it allows us to see what's actually in our hearts, what's actually on the inside, how much conviction we actually have about the things that we say. Because a lot of times we can, we can fool ourselves by our external actions, right? We're going to church. We're going to men's Bible study. Um, we're, we're going to, you know, prayer groups throughout the week, and we're reading our Bible. All of that stuff has a tendency to fool us, to make us think we're in the right relationship with Christ. But really what tells us is when the, when, when the rubber meets the road, when the pressure comes, how do we respond to it? First Peter 1, 6, 7 tells us, in this you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result, result in what? The praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. When it gets tough, when we face trials and all this stuff, we get to see what's truly on the inside. Do you run away from it or do you stand firm to your truth and convictions? Whenever I go to Costco, um, I create a scene there sometimes, and my wife doesn't like it. Uh, and what I do is, when it's watermelon season, I go and I feel like I'm the best watermelon picker. And look, you can laugh. I get the stereotype. Six, seven black man picking watermelons in Costco. I embrace it. I'm okay with that. It's fine. But anyway, I, I'm here at this watermelon bin, and you know they have those big buckets, bu- bucket boxes, excuse me, of watermelon. And I'm sitting there, and I like tap all of them. And I'm looking at it, and I'm kind of like, you know, examining it because I'm looking for a certain color. I'm looking for a certain print on it. I'm looking for a certain circular figure around it. I feel like I know how to pick a good watermelon. Like I tap that thing and see if it's hollow on the inside because that means it's sweet. Um, create a scene. Like people, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, can you get me one while you're at it? <laughs> I charge Costco for that later. Um, and I have, by the way, I've helped people. But anyway, I make the scene. And so my wife is just like, would you come on? Like, would you stop doing it? It's like, I want a good watermelon. But here's the thing about it is, I can do all of that stuff. I don't know if it's good or not until I open it up. I don't know until I get home. All of that stuff, I can fool myself and, and think I'm doing something, but you don't know the inside of a fruit until you actually open it up. And here's what I'm saying about us, men. We don't know truly where our heart is until we face a little pressure, until we face a little conflict, until we face some, some resistance from what we want to do. And then what do we do? Do we try to navigate and find our own way? Or do we stand firm to God's way and God's will? Because his truth is what matters, not ours. Right? The other passage you can jot down in 1 Peter, of course, is 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something were strange happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Right? He's telling us to rejoice. Peter knew a little bit about suffering. Rejoice. Because you're sharing, you're doing exactly what Christ said was going to happen in his sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Because at the end of the day, no matter what persecution happens, Christ is going to get the glory one way or another. That's just how it works. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Such a great thing to know as we face any type of pressure that is to come. So the question is, how are you doing against the pressures today? How are you doing? What are you doing to prepare yourself today? Because you got to have a plan. You can't wait till it just, for it just to happen. That'll be too late. What's that line in the sand that you've drawn in your own mind, talked about with your own family, of when your job crosses this line, i got to go. I have to go. Right? What's that line that you've drawn in the sand with your kid's school? If the school crosses this line, homeschool it is. We got to go. We got to go. What's that line that you've drawn with business relationships? 
right? Or, or even friendships that you have where if someone crosses that line, I got to go. I can no longer be here. As much as I want to, as much as I want this relationship, as much as it would benefit me, as much as it would benefit my family, I got to go. I can no longer be here. Man, if you're not preparing for it now, you will not be ready when it shows up. If you're not preparing for the pressure today, if you haven't already sort of strategized that out, you will not be prepared when it hits you because it'll hit you hard. And we know Pilate certainly wasn't prepared, hence why he caved so quickly. To pick it up, I want to go back to the top, verses 1 through 5, and then jump down to 16. Just look at, think about Pilate's convictions as I, I read this. He's already said, I find no guilt in this man one time in chapter 18 when we started. Then he says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldier twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Second time. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Here's what you wanted, right? I, 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 did, I did some of it. Right? I caved on my convictions. I did some of it. Here's what you wanted. It's not what they wanted. And what does it end up for Pilate at the end as we fast forward through the story? Verse 16, so he delivered him over to be crucified. Delivered him over to be crucified. Think about Pilate now. Here's a guy that is governing. He, he's, he's the man in charge. He has a conviction, a conviction to say, here is a, a man that needs to be free. I find no guilt in him. No guilt. Not like, you know, he's done some bad things. Zero guilt. But because of the pressures that's placed upon him and he's not ready for it, it's too intense for him. He completely relents and says, okay, take what you want. I don't want anything to do with what you're pushing up against me. I want to be your friend. I don't want to be your enemy. I don't want you to tell Caesar, right? He completely gives up on his convictions that he has, that he's strong. Here's a strong man, right? Pilate, strong man. He gives up on it because the pressures were too much. And he allows a man that he saw was, Ill, that was, was not guilty to be crucified. And it's, again, easy for us to read past that, but here's a strong man who feels good about his conviction. I'm going to tell them, look, I mean, verse 12, then Pilate sought to release him. He didn't just say that, right? He, he's like, I'm done with them. I'm releasing this man. Forget what they're saying. And then a few verses later, he gets to a point where he is sending him to be crucified. All I'm saying is, is if Pilate can cave to the pressures, not that we should focus on Pilate too much, but here's a man that just caved in to the pressures that were against Jesus. We're not much stronger than that, man. We're not much stronger than that. So if he can cave, we can cave too, if you're not prepared for the pressures that are to come. So point number two this morning wants to write it down this way, we need to make no compromise for worldly pressure. They're not trying to agree. They're not trying to negotiate. They want 100% buy-in. Otherwise, you're going to face it. Face the pressure. There was a story about a friend of Calvin Coolidge when he was president. They invited him they invited the friends to the, to the White House, and the friends were so nervous about how to, you know, their table manners and how to, how to act around the White House that to protect themselves, they just did everything that Coolidge did. 
And so when they sat down at the dinner table, every time he would pick up a napkin, they would pick up a napkin. Every time he would take a drink, they would take a drink. And when he started eating, they would start eating. He, they would do everything that he did because if he did it, then it must be right. Well, all of that went well throughout dinner, but when coffee time came, it was a disaster. You see, because Coolidge got his coffee, and they picked up their coffee as well to get ready to pour it, and Coolidge poured his in a saucer. They poured theirs in a saucer. Coolidge put creamer and sugar in a saucer. They put cream and sugar in their saucer, and he's watching this the entire time that's happening, and the next step is Coolidge loved cats. He took that saucer and put it down there for his cats to drink, and then he looked at his friends, and his friends looked like idiots, of course, because they're like, oh, that's, I don't know what to do now, but the whole point in that is You can follow somebody so blindly and just continue to do what they want you to do or do what they're doing and not even think about what's right or what's wrong. And we can easily do that as Christians as well, right? We can start slowly doing things without thinking, what does God want us to do? What does the Bible say about this? And before you know it, we're so far off track that we're pretty much in our own way feeding the cats coffee out of a saucer in our own life. It's a gradual process, right? It's not instantaneous. It doesn't just happen to where all of a sudden you become this person who is so far off track. It's a gradual process. And it started, like it starts with us, it started in the garden. When we start to ask ourselves, did God really say, right? Did God really mean we can't do this? God will understand. God will forgive me. He'll, he'll know that I just made a little bit of a, a detour, but ultimately I had his plan in mind. No, God won't understand. And that's what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the first place. It's because that's how Satan works. That's what happens with sin issues in your own life. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, most people are doing it. And then before you know it, you're knee deep into a, a deep sin situation. Right? It's how we see these Orthodox Christians who were once of the faith no longer part of the faith because they started to bend. Well, God wouldn't really send people to hell. He's too much of a loving God. I I get that, but that's what his word says. That's what his word says. Well, God would understand, right? When we start to overthink and start to make ourselves a standard and start to think we are God, it just opens up to more conformity and more compromise. And that's what gets us eventually so far off path that it's even hard to, to get back. And that's how Satan works, right? Satan just doesn't just show up with a pitchfork and say, hey, change your ways, right? All he's looking for is a crack in the armor, a chink in the armor. Because if he can get a crack, then he can bust it wide open without you even knowing. And that's what he's looking for. And that's why we talk about this a lot, but accountability helps pre- prevent that. The more and more you're talking to men, the more and more men know what's going on in your life. And you're not, you're not holding out secrets because you want to be high and mighty and and godly in other men's eyes. The more and more you're able to do that, then the more and more you steer clear of Satan's attacks. Because when you try to fight this on your own, men will lose every single time. We'll lose every time. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Hey, you got this. You can take me all day long, right? You're stronger than me. All right, don't worry about these cultural pressures. It's not a big deal. He wants you standing flat-footed because when he hits you, he's going to destroy you, and he's not going to be there to pick you up. So understand, this is all part of Satan's plan. You compromise on God's truth today, it leads to a break later, right? You bend today, you break tomorrow. That's all it is. 
That's why Paul tells us right out of the gates in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, right? What is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed, right? Right out of the gates. But then I love that, be transformed, be transformed, right? Who's the perfect embodiment of that? Good, acceptable, and perfect? Jesus. And that's who we need to focus on as we go back to our passage and pick up the last little piece that we have remaining. That's in verse 9. Verse 9, it says, he entered the headquarters, Pilate, and said to Jesus, where are you from? He knew where Jesus was from, but he was asking this question as he asked before because Jesus told him, my kingdom is not of this world. So he's asking him, dude, where are you from? They're saying you're the son of God. Where are you from? Help me out here. Jesus already told him that. My kingdom is not of this world in chapter 18. Doesn't need to answer him again. He remains silent. So Pilate asked him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? I love how Jesus puts him in his place. You wouldn't have, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. See, Jesus was able to remain so faithful, so calm in this situation because he knew it was all part of the plan. He knew it was all part of the plan. This was what was supposed to happen. All of these things was what was supposed to happen. So point number three for us this morning, just like he's the first step in getting there, being sentenced to crucifixion. Super Bowl 37, 2002, the Buccaneers destroyed the Raiders. It was one of the most lopsided Super Bowl victories that, that was out there. I mean, the game started off 34-3 to in favor of Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just destroying the Raiders. And Rich Gannon um, threw five interceptions that game for the Raiders. Right? He couldn't do anything right. And what was interesting about that game is John Gruden, who was the coach of the Buccaneers at that time, was, was super confident going into the game. He's like, yeah, we'll win this. Yeah, no, I have no doubt. Like, we're going to win this game. And even his team had that same confidence. It doesn't matter. You know, of course, we're going to have a few penalties and a few bad plays, but we're going to win this game. Like, not a problem at all. And they did. And the reason they won that game is because John Gruden, who was the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2002, was the coach of the Oakland Raiders in 2001. And the new Oakland Raider coach decided, I'm just going to run Gruden's plays. So who knew Gruden's plays? Gruden. So all of the schemes that they did in 2002, that season, to get them to the Super Bowl, once they faced the person who created those schemes, he was like, you got to be kidding me. This is like taking candy from a baby. Like, you're, you're, you're running my plays. I know what you're about to do. And they were able to destroy them. And they did. Lopsided victory because... John Gruden knew everything that was coming and everything that was about to happen. Well, Jesus gives us exactly what's to come in the pages of Scripture. He tells us what to expect so that we don't fall away, so that we know when it happens, we can say, yep, this was, this was, this was a penalty, this was a bad play, this was a mishap that we have, but ultimately, we know how this game is going to end. Right? They don't stand a chance. And you and I must have that same confidence because Jesus tells us that. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. There it is. Here it comes. You're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I got this, guys. I've won this game already. I just need you to follow me and trust me. Still got to play the game, but follow me 
and trust me. Truly believing in the end allows you to remain faithful, allows you to not fret, allows you to not get anxious and all stirred up about what am I going to do now? Well, what you're going to do now is continue to trust Jesus like you've done in the first place. And you don't have to fret. You don't have to, to, to be worried about it. Here's somebody, Jesus, who's about to be crucified. And he's sitting back there basically talking noise to Pilate. Dude, you ain't got no power. The only reason you got power is because the person that I'm with gave it to you. Right? Think about that. All right. He's not fretting at all. Neither should you and I as the pressures intensify. Everyone is put in place by God for a reason, right? John 19, 11 tells us that, right? For a purpose. Your boss at work, as much as you despise them, you don't think they're a good leader, you think you could run circles around them, God put them in that role for a reason. The government, as much as you despise them, as much as you don't like them, as much as you hate, whatever you want to say, God put them in charge for a reason. For a reason. All by God. A landlord. If you're a renter, you don't like your landlord, God put that person in charge of you for a reason. Orchestrated by God. The God that loves you. The God that sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. God put that bad person in charge for a reason. Ultimately because it brings him glory. You just need to stay faithful to the plan. It's going to get bad. One more passage I want you to write down. I'll read through it. You don't have to turn there. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But just listen to these words. If you don't have this highlighted in your Bible, highlight this. Because this is something I go back to often and say, yeah, yep, he knows. He knows exactly what's going to go on. Because he can pin something 2,000 years ago and it sounds just like today. 2,000 years ago sounds just like today. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. I don't know about you, but that sounds just like today. That could be put out on Twitter and say, yep, that, that happened today. Right? Just like today. Being a Christian doesn't mean figuring your way out in this world. Being a Christian means being faithful to the plan and knowing that God is going to be victorious in the end. And when challenges come before you, when the pressure comes before you, in your relationships, in your jobs, in, in, in whatever that is, knowing that it's part of the plan. Not fretting, but knowing that it's going to happen. When I was working on this passage earlier this week and really starting to, to put pen to paper with it, uh, last week I should say, um, I was sitting there like, what a, is, this, is this relevant? Because I mean, I even have those thoughts, right? Is this, is this relevant? I mean, we see the pressures happening in the world, but sometimes we look overseas and say, well, it's not that, right? We still, we still can figure it out here. And then every podcast that I listen to seemed like, every blog that I read, had to do with persecution, and not just overseas, but what's happening here. And it's like, thank you, God. Thank you for that reminder. Not that I needed it, but it was a good reminder just to remind all of you that it's here, man. 
It's here. And Satan wants nothing more for you just to say, it's not here. We're good. We got time so that he can sneak attack you and knock you off your feet. Know it's here and know the preparation starts today about how you're going to face the bully, how you're going to face the pressure when it arrives at your doorstep and it's directly facing you. How are you going to respond to it? But let me conclude by speaking about the, the most important thing here and the most important thing to remember, and that's Jesus. And Jesus, where he was at and what he was about to go do. Because you, this is the sentencing of Jesus going to the cross, of course. Pilate making that declaration that you're going to the cross and you're going to be crucified. And here Jesus is, doesn't say a word doesn't frazzle, doesn't fret, he's not anxious, doesn't say a word. He goes along with the plan because he knew this was God's will. I mean, he, seriously, he could have aborted the mission. He could have been like, you know what, uh, enough, right? And he would have been completely justified to do so. He didn't need to die for you or I. He would have been completely okay if he said, enough is enough, I'm not trying to be crucified, I'm out of here. But he didn't do that. He could have left us without a savior. He didn't do that, right? He went to the cross for all of us, for you, for me. Romans 5, yet while we were still sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. He died for us. All I'm saying is he's asking us to face a little pressure. He's asking us to weather the storm. He's asking us to, 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 to be able to take on exactly what he told us is going to happen. And he died for you. He died on the cross for you. He got beat. He was bloody. He got whipped for you, for your sins to be atoned for. Not so that you can figure out how to navigate this world. Not so you can figure out how to keep your job and try to be a Christian at the same time. Those days are, are being numbered. His blood was shed, not for you to do that, but so that you can have eternal life. It's about the next life, not this one. So you can have eternal life with him. Praise God for that. But oftentimes we forget about that. And we get in our own head of how do we navigate through this. And I'll get back to Jesus later with the etern eternal stuff. No, we need to think about eternity now to help us get through everything that we're going through today. He died for your sins so you can spend eternity with him. Not so you can have an easy life here. So make sure that you have a deep trust in your convictions about who Jesus is. Because the world is coming after those. And if it's not a deep-rooted trust, then you'll bend today, and ultimately you'll break tomorrow. But God's given us the game plan. God's given us the victory, and he's told us everything that's about to happen. Let's put our faith and trust in that and in him to make sure that when the time comes for you to receive the pressure, you're ready for it. Let's pray.